the show you're about to hear discusses films, books, and TV shows in their entirety, twists, endings, and all, without fear of spoilers. So if you don't want to know who dies, who done it, or how it all ends, we strongly advise you switch off now. I'm Paul Tyler and welcome to Spoiler, the show which reviews movies, books and TV shows in their entirety. This week we're watching Baz Luhrmann's 1996 Shakespeare adaptation Romeo and Juliet. And just another final warning, we will be talking about the whole of the plot, although to be fair it is one of the most famous stories in the English language. You probably already know that it doesn't end well, but if you've not seen Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, go away, watch it now, then come back to us afterwards. Have they gone? Right, on with the show. Everything was going to plan. I'd reached 40, got married to a wonderful wife and we're blagging our way through raising two children. I've also managed to get this far in life without watching Titanic or Dirty Dancing. Sweet. Shakespeare must have sent in a note from his mum at my school because he was conspicuous by his absence. We did Lord of the Flies, obviously, and Inspector Calls and To Kill a Mockingbird were studied. Well, okay, glanced over, but the bard was nowhere to be seen. I considered myself lucky and planned on spending the rest of my days kicking around the earth without consuming a word of old will. That was until the spoiler team got involved. At least we'll be watching a film so I won't have to put up with all the ye olde gobbledy gooky lingo though. Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona, where we lay our scene. From ancient grudge, break to new mutiny. Oh. The boys, the boys! Retaining original Shakespearean dialogue, Baz Luhrmann's 1996 film stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes as Romeo and Juliet who fall in love despite being from two warring families, the Montagues and Capulets. By my head, here come the Capulets. By my heel, I care not. So keen was DiCaprio to be involved, he agreed to pay for his own flight to Sydney to be part of it. Lerman took the approach of attempting to visualise how Shakespeare himself might make a movie. He was a player, says Lerman, a relentless entertainer and a user of incredible devices and theatrical tricks to ultimately create something of meaning and convey a story. That is what we wanted to do. My only love sprung from my only hate. Too early seen unknown and known too late. Prodigious birth of love it is to me that I must love a loathed enemy. Time Out stated that Lerman was right to stick with the original dialogue, making the central element of his audacious adaptation visual. Friend of the show, Roger Ebert, was not convinced though, stating, I've seen King Lear as a samurai drama and Macbeth as a mafia story but I've never seen anything remotely approaching the mess that is the new punk version of Romeo and Juliet. Do you buy your thumb at us, sir? So, what will the spoiler team make of Romeo and Juliet? And how did I cope with my first real immersion into the Bard's work? Did Lerman pull off Shakespeare as a director impersonation, or did he produce, and I apologise for this, a tragedy? No, I really am sorry. Mm-hmm. 
So later in the show, we'll be taking a look at some other, less obvious Shakespeare adaptations. Uh, but first, two reviewers, both alike in dignity, <laughs> in Fair Lincoln, where we lay our scene from ancient grudges, yada, yada, yada. It's Rachel Burnett and Andy Goulding. Hello. Hello. Okay, uh, now then, we need to start this. And as, as usual, you know, the, the time goes on from the time between us selecting a film uh, or, or, or a book or a TV show to watch. And I can never remember who brought things up. Uh, who brought this to the table? It was you. You did. What? <laughs> really? You yeah. did, yeah. God, you I said, meant... ooh, maybe we should do Shakespeare. <laughs> did I? Yeah. You did, yeah. I, don't, I can't remember how many you'd had that time. But, uh... <laughs> I mean, well, no, drinking's not clever, kids, obviously. I mean, this is a proof of proof we're needed. We're about to hear it. Um, honestly, I was about to... Uh, this, this, I've got it written down here. Look, how to start, who brought this up, who's responsible. I've got yeah. it written... You can see it written in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man alive so the time I've spent putting all this together the time I spent watching this I've only got myself to I, genu- yeah. I genuinely I genuinely yeah. didn't know it as well I thought it'd be you Rachel <laughs> oh, no. No. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you um, okay right well in which case um, alphabetically Burnett uh, <laughs> thanks you come first um, Rachel what did you make of this well you see I really like my Shakespeare so it's different for me because if it's your first foray into Shakespeare it's not the best well I think actually it's not a bad way in because at least you can see what's going on and and I must admit, Shakespeare is something that you should watch. It was always meant to be something that's watched and listened to. It's not meant to be read. It's not a book. It's not mm-hmm. you know, a screenplay. It's not how it used to be. He used to do a play for them to perform for a couple of weeks. And then it was put, you know, put in the bin, essentially. It wasn't meant to be kept. OK, I was writing the word bin there. <laughs> come, back, come back to that. You know, he is a very much, Shakespeare is very much a visual thing. You're meant to watch and listen and, and not read and not think too much about the language, really. And if it's performed well... And that's a big thing. Okay. If it's not performed shouting and and all that sort of thing, you should be able to get it from what's happening, from the passion, from the emotion. You should be able to pick up what's going on without having to understand every single word. Andy, uh, you, come on, uh, help, help me out. <coughs> oh, gentle host, you ask me questions, <laughs> broad, to which my pacifistic tongue, I fear, must answer swift as if it were a sword, delivering rapier wit unto thine ear. For once did I despise this piece of art, <laughs> bemoaning that it smote my aching brain, and like my youthful paradoxic heart, did rub against, and yet instill my grain. But wisdom giving time henceforth elapsed, and having on the bard's own scratchings gazed, this film unto my bosom I have clasped, and its artistic merits reappraised. So, yeah, it was fantastic. Well, yeah, I mean, this is it. I, I, I can't remember what number program we're on now. I can't remember. <laughs> but when I, a lot of these, I end up with saying the genial Andy Goulding, and that the, you just, there you, are. you know, and, and another demonstration as to why. Because when I was going to do that kind of language, I copied exactly what they said in the script. You have made your own because that's that's the, the creative genius. Well done. Um, okay, but I still because I mean, here's here we go. Here's right. I'm, never mind what you think. Right? Here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And you've illustrated the point perfectly, although I am a little bit worried because I was going to come in tonight and just go hell for leather, right? (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't want to I don't want to upset anyone around the table because, you know, you're my friends. But here's the point. I didn't understand a word you just said. (laughs) And I didn't understand a word that went on during this. And I I think when we when we I'm trying to I'm trying to think back to when we said we were going to do this thing. (laughs) Why? I didn't I I thought it was just a modern day version. Ah. Okay. I didn't under- yeah. I didn't think the language was going to be the language, and I can watch DiCaprio do anything. Claire Danes is brilliant. The rest of the cast, you know, they're, they're, it's not the cast. It's not their fault. All down to Lerman. 
all of it. Well, here's the thing. Isn't it all down to Shakespeare? <laughs> when this first, when this came up, yes, uh, I thought, oh no, because I saw this film about 15 years ago and I absolutely hated it. But there was two main reasons for this. I mean, uh, well, first of all, I didn't, I didn't really get it. I thought it gave me a headache. There was too much going on. It was too. But the main reason was that I, I didn't follow it. And this is the problem for me: is that people give me more credit for being intelligent than I've earned. And <laughs> nothing, nothing exposes me more than Shakespeare. <laughs> and so knowing we can do Shakespeare and knowing who I was going to be talking to about it, I've really done my homework for this episode. <laughs> so I sat down and I've read the play. And what I didn't do the last time, 15 years ago when I first saw this, I hadn't read the play. And I think it's absolutely crucial that you read the play before you see this because you need to... You need to know the source material inside out before you see the little bits that he's riffing on and what he's what he's doing, what he's subverting, what he's kept in, what he's taken out, why. And as Rachel was saying earlier about needing to see Shakespeare performed, people have always told me this. So I've seen a lot of Shakespeare performances. I've been seen it on stage. I've seen films. And unless I've read it first, not just read it, but studied it and really learned about the context and the language and the classical allusions and everything... I get completely lost in the first five minutes. Who's got time for that? (laughs) (laughs) See, I really love the language. I absolutely love it. I watched the Hollow Crown series, which is absolutely pure Shakespeare. And I haven't read it. Henry V and all of that. I haven't read any of them. Um, Tom Hiddleston's in it, so that was my main reason for watching it. It's not the language, (laughs) 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 language looking at. if it's performed properly and said in a way that's not theatrical, I can't Mm. stand this Shakespeare that's done with sort of Shakespeare, but this kind of just said normally like a normal human being would speak, which is the way Tom Hiddleston and his ilk do it in this Hollow Crown series. I knew I wasn't trying. I think this is the thing. People try to try and get every single little word. Don't try and do that. Just try and get the <laughs> feeling of it. Just try and get. Well, this is what's happening. This is the passion that's coming through. This is the emotion that's coming through. It's like there's a bit with Mercutio in this film where they're thinking about whether they're going to go to the party or not. And Leo um, says, I've had a dream. I'm, I'm not sure about this. Doesn't say it like that, obviously. <laughs> and, um, and Mercutio goes off on one. It's called the Queen Mab speech. Yeah. And he goes, oh, yeah. which is just fantastic. <laughs> and he talks about all the various things that Queen Mab does to, you know, she plants all these different ideas in your head and she, you know, she'll run a, um, a wheel over your throat and you'll think of cutting people's throats and all this amazing imagery about dreams and things like that. And it's, you don't need to understand every single line of that speech. You just need to know that he's talking about dreams. That's it. But if you don't know it's coming, then you lose patience incredibly quickly because you go, oh, God, what's this bit about now? Whereas having read the play... I knew that bit was coming. And mm-hmm. so when it happened, I was like, oh, right, it's, it's this it's bit. It's the Queen speech, I mean, yeah. in terms of, like, uh, understanding, I found a fantastic online resource, which I would uh, recommend to anyone who, like, it's, it's great. It's, I think it's made for students and, and school kids, but anyone who wants to understand Shakespeare, it's called No Fear Shakespeare. Mm. And what it does is it just presents the play. It presents it as, like, a double-page spread. And on the left-hand page is the play as written by Will, and on the right-hand side, it's just the same lines, but in modern English, and it tells you what it means. And so I started reading, and like as you, as you start off, it's like when you watch a film with subtitles. You know, when you, in the first five minutes, you think, I'm never going to keep up with this. And then your brain just clicks into gear. And about an hour in, you realise you've been watching it, and you haven't even realised you've been reading along. 
And I found the same thing here. The more you read it, you get into the rhythms and you start to understand from seeing the translations. And the further you get through the play, you realise the less and less you're looking across to the right-hand side of the page. And so that really helped me to understand it and get a handle on the story. So then I was really eager to then see the adaptation because I was going into it knowing what was going to happen. And so when when speeches like that Mercutio speech came up, I still, like, sitting there listening to it, I, was, I was thinking I still don't really know what he's on about, but I've, I've got a bit of background. I know this speech, where it comes in the play, mm-hmm. and that really helps carry you through. Whereas I think the first time I watched it, I would have just been right, I'm lost, I'm mm-hmm. never going to pick it up again. Yeah. And just a lost interest straight away. Which I totally understand. Yeah. And especially if you've never, ever listened to Shakespeare before or read it or have anything, you know, nothing at all from school, which shocks me because we're the same age. And I had to do Romeo and Juliet and Macbeth at school. You know, uh, this is, I mean, this, to be fair, this is not to say it wasn't going on in the school. It's to say I wasn't paying oh, attention. Oh. No, 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 no. Actually, no. I, I, I think that's no. I think that's not true. I, I, I think I don't think we did any. I'm sure you would remember if you had. Yeah. I was very lucky. We had a very good English teacher, and she made us perform the Shakespeare bits as we were learning it because it is a performance thing. It's not something that just be, should just be kept on the page. Mm. You should hear it because a lot of it's an iambic pentameter. The only person that does it now, iambic pentameter in the film is Pete Postlethwaite. But you got to hear it. You can't just mm. read it. And um, yeah, she made us do. It made us do. She you know, encouraged us to do um, the first scene of Macbeth, which is the three witches on, and that was brilliant. Imagine these three kids just <laughs> being all witchy, and it really brought it to life. And you need that. You need somebody really to inspire you about Shakespeare. And this probably wasn't your best way in. You'd probably better going to a stage play or something like that. What, mm. what do you think the chances of that happening? Are? Oh, next to nothing and minus. <laughs> um, I don't. Well, you know, I mean, the thing is, you, I mean, obviously, I'm prepared to give things a chance at some point because I said, no, "You really did." I really? Well, what happened well, was you said, "Let's do a book," and you said, "Oh, let's do Shakespeare." I remember those words coming yeah, out so of your mouth, yeah, well, we and it was book, me being really kind that thought Romeo and Juliet, the Basil Herman, that's going to be the most accessible. So I actually was threw you. you a bone there. So it was you. I could have said Henry the Fifth. I bet I'd have have enjoyed reading Macbeth. Um, So let me me knock back a couple of points here. The the point you brought up about subtitles, I've made a note about that because I'm the kind of person that when people say to me that I can't watch those subtitles, I look down on those people. Rightly so. (laughs) And now I feel like, do you remember that sketch with the two Ronnies? Who was it? Um, John Cleese. Where Mm. he he turns around and says, I look down on him because this and the other. Right. So I'm in the middle. I'm Ronnie Barker in the middle because I look down on people who uh, don't watch films with subtitles. uh, But I'm looked down upon by people who watch Shakespeare adaptations. (laughs) And I think so I know know my place in society. No, no, I'm making making up, of course. But I mean, it's not going to say, you know, it's not going to surprise you that that I didn't finish this film. (laughs) I I, I watched the ending because, (laughs) boy, I wanted to watch the ending. And we'll get get to that. We'll get to that. I mean, I quite like, you know, it's funny. There are things about the ending I like and not just the fact it ends. (laughs) Okay. But I think Time Out, when I, when I did that, that, that intro earlier, we talked about Time Out, and they said it takes 20 minutes, 20, 20 minutes to sort of get into the, the lure of it. And they were, they were bigging it up and they were saying, yeah, you know, he made, uh, Lerman had made the right choice here. Uh, and and let's, in fact, let's focus on that a second. So we talked a lot about the, the lingo and the language, and I'm sure that'll crop its ugly head again. <laughs> what, what about the visualisation then? I mean, Rachel, you know, I mean, what, what about this? Is, is it, I mean, is it busy, isn't it? It's very, very busy. I'm not a huge fan of that style. Um, I loved Strictly Boring, Pass Lemon's first film, was it? Yeah. yeah. 
And I loved that. And it suited the ballroom world, all that sort of colour and brashness and stuff. And there is an element of me that thinks, yeah, that suits this whole kind of gangland, busy stuff that's going on. But for me, it was a bit too frenetic. And when you when your brain's already trying to decipher language you're not used to hearing, and then you get the bang, 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 bang of all these things changing and colours and people screeching and um, you know, close-up of faces and God knows what else is going on. It does seem a little bit, oh my God, you know, cut me some slack here. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan and I... I despise Moulin Rouge. Yes, so do I. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> Yay. So, um, See, I, so I can't remember what I thought about it. You probably despised it, don't worry. So <laughs> I don't think I did. <laughs> it's just too much. It's too much. I just hate Moulin Rouge. Anyway, that's not the film just we're talking about. Yeah, we'll make a quick note here. <laughs> Watch. Moulin Rouge. Moulin. Well, there's no strange language in it, but there's lots of other Moulin bad Rouge. things in it. There's a lot of Elton John, as far as I remember. Yes, yeah. yes. And there's lots of things I don't like. But So I'm not a huge fan of Baz's style, per se, but I like bits of it, and I liked what he did with it. I think the idea of putting it... I mean, it's not. it's been done before. West Side Story is about gangland culture, but, mm-hmm. you know, this idea of putting it in this kind of half-Miami make-believe place, which Shakespeare did. Verona's not a real place. I mean, it is, but... His Verona is not the, the real Verona. So, you know. I'm just thinking about the knack. <laughs> My Verona. <laughs> <laughs> not that kind of Verona. Right, sorry, sorry. It's, I know, and I know it's Verona. Don't write in. Don't write in. I know. I know. Right, sorry, Rachel. That's quite all right. Um, <laughs> I've lost my train. I know, I know. I, really, I, I genuinely, I mean, I, I agree as well because I don't just think it was the language that put me off. I think, I, I think the diabolical scene at the beginning with the garage and the, mm. all that business. Yeah. So when you haven't got a clue what they're saying, and you just being, it's just the the, the camera shots, the cinematography. Here we go. Listen to me. The <laughs> cinematography. Uh, everything I just didn't like anything about it. It's just too busy, too much going on. I don't even like the colours. How about that? No, I mean, agreed is, I, on the colours. Agreed. <laughs> I was I was worried that I'd come in here today and just not have anything to say and 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 be miserable on it for the sake of it. And actually, that's not true. I mean, there's a lot of you know, I, I, um, and and these are the reasons that, that that I didn't just connect with it. And and that has to that surely, surely that has to happen certainly within the first twenty minutes. Yeah, although the play itself is the first. Well, it's not twenty minutes, but the first few pages of it. They're really quite slow. And, I mean, there is sort of rumours, I'm not sure how true it is, that he wrote, like, the beginning of it, thinking it was going to be one thing, and then it changed and became something else. Like, Mm -hmm. this whole idea of Rosaline being this, you know, at the beginning, Romeo's just absolutely distraught because Rosaline doesn't love him and blah, blah, and all of a sudden, bang, he meets Juliet, and that's all gone. Mm -hmm. So, actually, your first 20 minutes are pretty much pointless. But what it's doing in this film is that it's setting up this whole, the feud, and trying to make you understand that. But, to be honest, you probably could just cut it to when you first meet Romeo, mm, I mean, really. Did either of you see it in the cinema first time? Man? No, was, no sort of, I think no, my head might have... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. That. I mean, I'm, just, well, I'm just wondering now if that first scene would have been much better seen on a big screen and you know, on sound and things, but... I don't know. No, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying here, I'm trying. No, no, stick to your principles, Paul. <laughs> I know, I've watched a lot of Romeo and Juliet adaptations and I have to say, I'm a bit of a... I'm a bit of a traditionist. I do like your good period Romeo and Juliet, if I'm being honest. Um, Zeffirelli's version is fab. And it just, it it probably make more sense to you if you saw it actually where it was intended to be and in the context it's meant to be. I don't know. I, I quite I quite liked it. I, I, I really didn't like that opening scene the first time I saw it. But when I came to it again, having read it, I, I thought that kind of, it was quite a good way of bringing you into the world that he was presenting to you and sh- showing you to have modernised it. This is what it's going to be. And I think, yeah, I, I, I like the Zeffirelli version as well. But I think... 
in modernising this, Lerman has done a really good job of, of choosing what to take out and what to leave in, how to reinterpret the bits that he has left in and make it appealing, uh, not just accessible, but actually appealing to a younger audience. And I think it's it's sort of tailor-made for kids who have studied this in school and then might go, oh, this actually looks like it's for me. Not if you give them the Zeffirelli, they're going to go, oh, we've just read all this and now we're going to have to watch it again. Whereas this might make them sit up and go, oh, there we go. And I think that, that was part of mm. the reason that he, he made it. I can answer. I can answer that for you. I can answer that for you. Um, every other week, uh, I take in. Uh, I do the drive-in of the kids to school. Do the school run. And the two teenagers sat on the back. Uh, they said that. Oh yeah, they because I was talking. I was talking to the, the little one who still talks to me, and we were you were saying about Romeo and Juliet. Um, and one of the one of the teenagers in the back looked up from their phone and said, "Oh, we've done that. We watched that at school." And so the next 10 minutes are, are, are taken with me trying to get the answer out of them, what they think about it. And I got around about, it's all right. <laughs> Such probably oh, quite good from that yeah, age. Yeah, 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 I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's better be lame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know. But I don't, I don't actually think it's aged very well either. For me, it, it, it felt... 1990s to me yeah. I don't I don't know maybe that's just my my head's there with that Cardigan's Love Fall video as well yeah I think it was meant to be there wasn't it it was tapping into that kind of MTV quick cuts that kind of it was it was aimed at that kind of audience and I think the Basil and starting point was to say Shakespeare wasn't like aiming to go over people's heads and he was he was a populist and he was trying to entertain people and if he had been making a film of Romeo and Juliet now this might have been the sort of thing he did. And uh, I think definitely when, when I was at school, I can remember this film coming out and I can remember all the boys screwing up their noses about it and complaining about it and all the girls really loved it. And, you know, mainly that was to do with Leo, I think. But uh, Fair enough. But, I mean, it, at least, I mean, anything, it, it got them interested and they all watched mm. it and they had all loved it and it kind of, it was, it's a, it was a jumping off point. Yeah, I mean, even if you didn't understand every word or even half of it, there's still, you're going to get the story, you're going to know what happened. And there's something quite, not primal, but something quite basic about that love story of, you know, star-crossed lovers and everything else. And it's been, yeah. you know, it's, it's probably one of the seven basic plots, I'm not sure, but it's it's very human, that story. And it's, you know, it's a definite tragedy. You know, we've all felt love like that that feels like you're going to die. And so there's something very human about it. And even if you don't get the language, you'll get the feeling of it, hopefully. Maybe if you watch all of it to the end. And so it's... That, that's a fair point. <laughs> you know, that's a fair point. But you, you, know, you know, you need to get lost in it. And I think I think if you're already, like, if you've got a barrier up straight away, I'm not getting the language, then you're not going to get anything because it's not just about... It's a performer's piece. And I think, I mean, the young kids, and they are young, 17, Claire Danes, 21, Leo, still older than the actual Romeo and Juliet should have been. They should have been 14 and 16, I think. And, and her performance, particularly... It's fantastic, isn't it? Absolutely yeah. sensational. She'd never done Shakespeare before, and she performed it in such a way... Now, she, for me, is how you should perform Shakespeare, yeah. because she speaks it as if that's her normal way of speaking. She doesn't perform it, she just kind of speaks that's it. That's incredibly hard to do, as well, to make that dialogue sound naturalistic, yeah. and she does. She does, yeah, yeah, totally. Totally, totally. I mean, she had the wonderful Mary Margulies with her, who could probably coach <laughs> yeah. her quite well. 
But yeah, I thought she just did tremendously well, as did Leo. I mean, he did it in a very naturalistic way. I've heard people, Shakespeare aficionados, go, oh, but they didn't perform it the correct way. <laughs> and it's like, just, God, God, what's the correct way? Well, but, you know, they got across what they were trying to, what, what they were feeling. And I think that's all, you know, the best you can do. I think Leo is a bit more kind of larger than life and melodramatic. Yeah. But then yeah. again, you don't underplay Romeo. No. <laughs> I think he's a character who... There's, he has no sense of moderation God, whatsoever, no. does he? <laughs> Not at all. You, you can't you can't play him in a in a small way. Yeah. Whereas Juliet, I think, is the more interesting character mm. and is is more subtle. And I think I, I just really bowled over by Claire Dane's performance. Yeah. I think also uh physically she's really right for the part. She looks young like Juliet's supposed to be, but not kind of disturbingly so. I read something saying that Natalie Portman was originally cast, but she looked too young and they they mm. said the the love scenes just looked disturbing. They yeah. they had to get get someone else in, and th- that was when they cast Claire Danes and Leo asked for her specifically because she was the only one who met his eye. So she was she was very naturalistic with him from the start. Uh, but also, I think she's she's not like insanely glamorous. She's 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 a pretty young lady, but you can't you can't make Juliet like an absolute knockout because you'd say, Oh, of course Romeo's fallen for her, everyone is, everyone's fallen at her feet. You have to believe in this star crossed lover's idea that they're drawn to each other. You can't have everyone just obsessing about Juliet. Mm. And uh, and so I think physically she was perfect, and and then just the performance she gives really really ramps that up and makes her it makes her more attractive because she's so naturalistic. Mm. If you had someone come out and go, oh, da, 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 <laughs> then then you're just going to immediately go after. Her, aren't Absolutely, you? no, she's completely entrancing. And um, when she comes down to the swimming pool after the after she's met him and she's doing her speech about you know the rose and everything else, and it's just the way she performs that is so subtle. She does this lovely little bit about, um, you know, what's in a name? It is not hand nor foot, not arm nor face. Mm. And then she gives this coquettish little look, not any other part belonging to a man. I thought, oh, you cheeky little thing. <laughs> and, um, and so those little things are just so subtle, but so beautifully done. And she does that all the way through. She never, it sounds stupid, she never stops acting. Yeah. You know, but she doesn't. She's always on it. Her little looks and her little asides and everything else. She's just phenomenal. At 17 years old, against apparently, she was a fangirl of Leo as well. That's got to be difficult. <laughs> and the first scene was her apparently topless with him as well. The scene after yeah. the, you know, the night, the night before. And that was their first scene that they shot together. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's a bit much to ask, but she's fun- just sensational. She carries it for me. She is she is the heart of it. That little dirty joke that you referred to there as well. And just reading the the original Shakespeare, there's there's a lot of filth in this, oh, isn't there? It's very yes. <laughs> not just bawdy. It's crude. I yeah. mean the amount. The amount of uh, times I, w- I was reading it and I thought, oh, I wonder what that bit means. And I'd look, glance across to the other side of the page and it would say, Mercutio is referring to his sexual organ. <laughs> I think, well, of course he is. He has that out more often than he does his sword. Well, the and, Elizabethans are very bawdy. Yeah, and yeah. And I'd have loved that in the theatre. And Way, exactly, every that's time part mentioned. of Shakespeare's <laughs> playing to them, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, but I think there's, there's, a, there's a tendency to... Uh, to let Shakespeare get away with that a bit more. I mean, we talked about the two Ronnies earlier. <laughs> I grew up watching the two Ronnies and I, I loved them. But if you say now, oh, yeah, I love the two Ronnies, people immediately go, oh, but what about there's lots of like really sleazy, misogynistic stuff in there. And you say, yeah, but there's also all these genius sketches that were based around wordplay. And I think, I say we hold Shakespeare to the same account as we hold the two Ronnies <laughs> and say it's, it's exactly, there's some, there's some quite unpleasant stuff. There's a scene where Mercutio is mocking the nurse and says some really horrible, and it's, 
it's blatantly written in a way where the audience is supposed to be laughing at her. Mm. Uh, yeah, she is a figure of fun, isn't she? Yeah. She's just to be mocked, the nurse. Well, I think I think when you read Shakespeare, you, you realise how embedded in the culture it is. And one thing, reading the nurse character, it immediately becomes clear, is how obviously she's the basis of nursey from Black Adam II. <laughs> <Yeah. seconds. laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, that, uh, there's a scene early in, in Romeo and Juliet where... The nurse just keeps going on and on about this embarrassing thing that Juliet did. And it just reminds me of that, that bit in Blackadder where she's talking about, uh, do you have moo moo milk or nursy milk? <laughs> Is it left breasty dumpling or right breasty dumpling? Right, OK, I'm going to interlude here just because I need to stop you two waffling on about it. <laughs> We're well, being Shakespearean, aren't we? No, 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 no. Do you know what? There's, there's sometimes, sometimes I do. I, quite often, I think you both know that I sit here and I just let you two go because it's uh, <laughs> because it's it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a joy to behold. So, uh, well, you know, it, it, it's, it's something to see two people in, enjoy talking about their subject, even if we didn't all. I mean, to be fair to me, to be fair, I mean, I know we, need, we really need to go for a break. We're late for it, but um, to be fair to me, do you remember Richard Richard Bacon used to write a film review in the Sunday People? And I'm not sure you'd probably be reading the Sunday People. Why would you? But he, he very rarely watched the films. Very rarely. He took the money, wrote the review, hardly ever watched the films. And that's that's not that's not a slanderous thing because he's admitted it more on more than one occasion. Wow. Um, so I think that's the way forward for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> although the, the the money thing might be uh, might might be welcome. Okay, right. So later, Rachel is going to be taking a look at some other perhaps less obvious Shakespeare adaptations in movies, and we'll be talking more about Romeo and Juliet. Brilliant. That's after this short break. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. If you'd like to help us make more, you can do so by visiting our webpage, spoilerpodcast.co.uk, clicking on the donate button and giving whatever you think we're worth. Or you can help us out for free and get yourself an audiobook of your choice into the bargain by signing up for a free 30-day trial with Audible via the link on our website. Audible have the world's largest selection of audiobooks, including Romeo and Juliet, narrated by Michael Sheen and Kate Beckinsdale. You can cancel your membership at any time within the 30 days and you won't pay a penny, but you still get to keep your free audiobook. Just go to spoilerpodcast.co.uk and click on the Audible trial ad on the left-hand side. We get a few quid each time someone signs up via our link, which will help producer Johnny buy hundreds of pairs of headphones which he'll passively aggressive hand out to people on public transport who insist on playing music through the speaker of their phone. Now, back to the show. So welcome back to Spoiler, where we're discussing Baz Luhrmann's 1996 Romeo and Juliet. Now, there's thought to be at least 500 feature films based in some way on the works of Shakespeare, some more loyal to the original text than others. Rachel has been taking a look at some of the less obvious Bard-inspired blockbusters. My name is Shakespeare William I own the feather quill I am the writer most familiar to you When I start watching a film or theatre performance of a Shakespeare play, I start off feeling similar to how I do when I start a subtitled film. For a few minutes, I'm really conscious of my eyes flicking from action to text, and a little voice niggles that it's going to be pretty much impossible to enjoy the movie, as I can't possibly read, watch the visuals, listen to the nuances in the voice, etc., all at the same time. And yet, 
I do, and I can. Just a few minutes in, and I've forgotten I'm reading, watching and listening, and I'm just enjoying. Same for Shakespeare. When that old language starts up, your brain resists for a while. What the heck are they all on about? Why does it feel like an A-level English class all of a sudden? And why can't they just speak properly? But give it a while, and you'll suddenly find yourself getting it. Even if it's just from the performance, the vocal clues, gesticulations and expressions. However, for those who just can't get past those first few minutes, you can still, and I would wager you already have managed to, enjoy Shakespeare. He's everywhere, hidden in plain sight, in movies and TV shows the world over. Modern language, but Shakespeare's stories. To prove the continued relevance of Shakespeare to the modern audience, and most especially to teens, there have been some interesting adaptations in recent years. Here's my top five. Ten things I hate about you, based on the taming of the shrew. I know you can be overwhelmed, and you can be underwhelmed, but can you ever just be whelmed? Hardly Shakespeare, but one of my favourite lines in a film that well deserves its popularity. Julia Stiles and Heath Ledger as Cat and Patrick play the central couple with tangible chemistry and are as feisty and argumentative as any Kate and Petruchio you're likely to see in a classic play. As well as some sparky, witty dialogue, which I feel sure Wills himself would have approved, there are nods to its Shakespearean origins, as Cat's best friend Mandela is obsessed with the bard and proclaims herself involved with him. All in all, a great introduction to one of Shakespeare's funniest and most accessible plays. Let me love you. Oh, based on Othello. After Ten Things I Hate About You, Julia Stiles got a bit of a name for herself as a modern Shakespearean actress, as this was closely followed by a role in a classic language version of Hamlet with Ethan Hawke, and finally an updated version of Othello. Oh. If you want to ask me if I'm cheating on you, go ahead, get some balls and ask. No, I'm not. Michael, you're the only person I've ever been with and you're the only person I want to be with. And if you want to be with me, don't ever talk to me like that again, ever. This version is as twisted, engrossing and dramatic as the original, but transplanting it to an American high school was a stroke of genius. All the players give it everything they've got, passions run high and it makes for a true Shakespearean tragedy that'll definitely inspire some to seek out the original play. Warm Bodies, based on Romeo and Juliet. A zombie apocalypse would seem an unusual backdrop for the classic tragic love story. And yet this stays very close in theme to the original play, and ultimately is just as romantic and passionate. It's fair to say that you can be some way into the film before you realise that the bard has so much influence over the plot, but as soon as you see Nicholas Holt's endearing zombie R standing under a balcony, calling for the object of his affection, Teresa Palmer's Julie, it becomes very clear. Where? What are you doing here? Came to see you. You can't just do that. It's dangerous. A surprisingly sweet adaptation, despite all the brain gobbling. Did you ever read a Shakespeare play and never understand a word they say? Get over it, based on A Midsummer Night's Dream. Cause Shakespeare's dead, but we're up here. Arguably one of Shakespeare's most accessible and enjoyable plays, A Midsummer Night's Dream is often a winner for reluctant theatre-goers. While Get Over It is possibly the loosest of the adaptations on this list, 
It refers directly to the play, as we have a play-within-a-play scenario, so still fits the bill. It's lots of fun, bright, colourful and wholly unrealistic, and by no means is it quality filmmaking. But if you want a way to get a conversation started about Shakespeare with the young teens in your life, you could do worse. It's, it's kind of hard to understand, but once you get into it, the story is actually kind of good. Finally, The Lion King, based on Hamlet. Yes, even animation gets in on the Shakespeare act. Though the recent Nomeo and Juliet is a far more obvious adaptation and a surprisingly good one, do check it out. The Lion King does a pretty nifty job of adapting some of the themes of Hamlet and creating a very powerful piece of cinema. In both the original play and the animation, we have royal families, a murdered father, a treacherous uncle and a young prince exiled. Although thankfully, there's a happier ending for Simba. The parallels are definitely there. So, get thee to a cinema, brush up your Shakespeare, and never be scared of the bard again. Thanks for that, Rachel. I mean, now one thing I was I was going to say here, and actually, I think I've, before. Um, my introduction that I was uh, that I was going to do for this whole thing uh, was going to be something similar that you know about how much culture is taken up with uh, with uh, Shakespeare and actually when you start looking at at bands and uh, you know it's, it's, I think we did the similar thing years ago years ago in the reading room when we talked about poetry and you think about you know how much poetry there is even just in, in in adverts and obviously songs and things like that so when you say you don't like poetry it's not true if I was to say I didn't like Shakespeare it's not true just because of the you know the influence I use words. And let's face it, he invented most of them, didn't he? Mm. You know, yeah, he did. Even the word crossover. <laughs> um, <laughs> I found out the other day. I mean, the, you know, the tax aware band, the Arctic Monkeys. You know, how many times have I sung about Montagues and Capulets? You know, <laughs> yeah. I bet they looked good on the dance floor. The Beatles, Elvis Costello, Elbow, Supergrass, uh, our Saviour and Lord, and the Bard of Barking himself, Billy Bragg. <laughs> you know, when we're talking about the milk and milkman and human kindness, all that kind of thing. And by the way, by the way, Billy Bragg. Listen, right? I know, <laughs> I know, I know. We should be talking about that but i saw billy bragg uh, a couple of weeks back he was supporting paul heaton i mean he did he dare and they actually played the milkman of human kindness as well which is obviously a shakespeare influence yeah. i say obviously i have no idea what that influence <laughs> is i just read it very quickly on wikipedia Macbeth, is that Macbeth? Um, i think so yeah. yeah yeah oh no actually i even wrote it down actually yeah Macbeth. yeah, yeah you're right yeah <laughs> um but yeah i mean hey let me, let me just have a quick word with the listener here. Sorry, just want to excuse you guys. If you've not heard Between the Wars, or if you haven't heard it for a long time, just pop yourself back, have a quick listen to it. <laughs> but also, well, every t- I've seen him a few times now, and yeah. you've seen him as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Every That's time... Awesome. He, sorry, Rachel. Every, 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 every time... Yeah, I know, but we're off, to- we're off topic. We're off topic. <laughs> so, might get edited out, I'm not sure. Uh, but every time he plays New England live, he always does that verse for Kirsty McCollum. Yeah. I can't, oh, hold, yeah. I can't no. hold it back. I can't <laughs> hold it back, no matter who I'm with or where I am. Anyway... That is a tragedy, which brings us back. Oh, nice. oh, whoa, whoa, <laughs> the boy's on fire. <laughs> right, monologues, don't get them. <laughs> they, sat, they sat there or stood there and just, who were they talking to? Who, who, were, they, who were they talking to? If it's, if it's on a stage, I think I could probably understand it. But this is a film. It's unnecessary. Do you not talk to yourself ever? 
Oh, Rachel, we... <laughs> stop bringing reason into everything. <laughs> of course I do. Of course That's all I do. Doing. And I do when I say it out loud. That's yeah. all they're doing. Yeah, but I don't perform it like that. Um, <laughs> all right, okay, but it's a performance. We talked about that. Okay, and I, I mean, other other notes I've made through this. Why? Why? I mean, let, right. It, I give it. I give it half of it. Right, half of it. In fact, I don't know how long was this. Two hours. Two it was hours, exactly yeah. two hours, wasn't it? Because that's how long it was supposed to that's be. Right. I think I gave it an hour and twenty. So when I say oh. I've not watched it, I know, I know, but whew. you've done well. You've done well. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Credit where it's due. Exactly. And then I skip towards the end, but we'll get to the ending in a bit because I do want to talk about that. But when I saw Miriam Margoyles delighted Pete Postlethwaite delighted I was <laughs> delighted awesome. I mean I was delighted to see these people and I think what I could see they were doing very well good they on were. them Desiree less so <laughs> she was <only> singing which <laughs> is what she does <laughs> know, but, do you know what I used to love Desiree until that life song where having a bit of toast and all that and I'm not, <laughs> yeah. not interested in it at all and again that for me it kind of ages it and puts it back in the 90s which mm. you know but that, that's obviously one of my many hang-ups with uh, with what's going on here do you think the soundtrack works the 90s soundtrack just about to write, just about to say that <laughs> who's asking the questions here <laughs> Do you think the soundtrack works, Rachel? <laughs> <laughs> the 90s sound. No, no, Andy, very, very, very good point. Very good, very good point, because that is where we're going to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this, I, I think the soundtrack must have sold by the bucket. Oh, it did. Yeah, it was big. Yeah. It went platinum, which and is unusual. Some of it works really well. I think the, the particularly the Radiohead songs, talk show host in this sounds brilliant when he's on that, that beach and he's really kind of, it, I think that works really well. And also that was a, a Radiohead B-side, which kind of, would have fallen by the wayside a little bit and this film dug it out again mm. and it was quite popular for a long time after that so uh, we've got that we've got that to thank and also the exit music which was written for yeah. this wasn't it yep. I have never known I mean they must have written this obviously they wrote this for this yeah yeah. because so it's got exit music out. for a yeah. film isn't it Bass, so. Bass I just... sent them the last 20 minutes of the film and said write something for this for the end see I never knew that mm. I never knew that I'm kind of disappointed by it because <laughs> the week before I'd played this I'd played this <laughs> Choking with rage. I played this in the. I played this in the kitchen. I played it loud, really loud, while doing the washing up. I thought, oh man, it just it doesn't get any better than this. He's just soiled it. <laughs> just, don't you think it, I think that works really well at the end of the film. I think it, it really. It, do, it does. But I always. You're right. Sorry to interrupt, but it. I thought it was for an imaginary film. I thought you were supposed to be mm. making the film up yourself. Yeah, so That's why I thought it was deeper than that, but it's not. Is it kind of like when you see <laughs> one of your favourite songs on an advert and then the next time oh, you hear it, all you can yeah. think of is the advert? Mm. Yeah. Oh, this is just nothing but a disappointment. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tragedy. Hey, there's one for the jingle. <laughs> Tune into spoiler. Okay. Tune, tune into the British Podcast Award nominated spoiler. It's nothing but a disappointment. <laughs> Talk, sorry, Paul, I'm taking over again. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, Andy, I think you're recognising the fact that you need to. <laughs> very astute. Uh, can I just ask if... Well, ask Rachel, because I know Paul didn't like any of this. Did you, no, did you like... <laughs> did you like the way the balcony scene was done in this? Oh, my God! <laughs> <laughs> I'd written something on that. Go on then, Paul. Go on then, Paul, you've answered that one. Hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Very recently, a senior, and we're not going to go into po- politics here, a senior politician was seen looking at the notes before he went on TV. <laughs> right? Now, out the back there, just now, my notes were on the side. Were you looking at me? <laughs> no, sorry, Rachel, but I... I no, you go for I, it. I, I, must, I must have turned here, because I, I actually thought that the balcony scene was done really, really well, just because he's climbing up the balcony. Right. I thought, oh, you know what's going to happen here. 
and it didn't, did it? Miriam Margot has jumped out, and you go, rrr, rrr, and then uh, <laughs> it came down down the bottom, and then that all that, ooh, the, the thing, and I remembered that, for, I think, from the Cardigans Love Fall video, and I did at that point, thought, oh, that was well done. Oh, well done there. Anyway, Rachel, sorry, what did you think of that? <laughs> <laughs> I actually quite liked it, because, I mean, I've seen so many adaptations, you get a bit sick of the balcony thing. Mm. And I quite like the, the aquatic thing came in a lot, a yeah. lot of water things yeah. throughout. I mean, the first time you see Juliet, she's got a face in some water. He puts his face in the same water, I think, possibly. Um, yeah, yeah. And they meet through the fish tank. That's the meet yeah. through the fish tank. And then he's got, he's all covered in rain at one point. And so there's lots and lots of water references. And it's very visually exciting to see people sort of flailing around in water. And there's that sort of bonding, entwining thing that happens as well. Um, it did mean she had to have an aquatic wig as well as her normal wig, which I was like, oh, that's very clever. I've never made an aquatic wig before. Ooh, what's um, the difference? Well, obviously, if you put a normal wig into water, it's going to pop off. <laughs> so <laughs> something's got to happen. Oh, right. Okay. And plus, it'll go all straggly and weird and show the net underneath. So I it's got to be much thicker. Right. Okay. But yeah, I got waylaid by going, oh, yes, look what the wig's doing there. <laughs> um, but no, I thought there was I thought it was nice use of, of water and and hiding as well, using it to hide and stuff. I thought that was quite interesting. So, no, that made it fresh. I, yeah, I enjoyed I that. I really liked that that, mm. that he hadn't just done it on the balcony. They did it in this water. And also, it gave it a real a real kind of uh, sense of realism. A lot of people would have, have said, oh, the balcony seems sacred. You've got to do it like this. <laughs> but not only did he, he do it in this way in water, but it wasn't... It was it was very real. There's a moment where Romeo hides underwater and then he comes up and he doesn't just come up full fresh, he comes up and he goes <laughs> <laughs> And I thought that was brilliant that he has him like like you would if you'd been yeah. hiding underwater and you're desperately coming up to sorry, I just wiped the spit off the microphone. <laughs> Absolutely, it was very realistic, I thought, that particular bit. And I loved the, the youthful exuberance, like when he says to her, what do I get in return? And she looks around like, what else can I give you? Like, what are you asking? And then he goes, oh, just want you to say I love you as well. Yeah. And she goes, oh, I can do that. And she <laughs> sort of launches herself at him. And I thought, oh, it's so cute. So I just love that whole exuberance. It really comes through. And, this, and the youthfulness of it, because sometimes Romeo and Juliet is done with older actors. And it just seems too ridiculous. It's like, oh, come mm. on, you've just met each other. And when they're in their late 20s, you're thinking, for goodness sake. But when they're this young and they're, and they're so full of that kind of youthful bubbliness, it makes sense that they could just go, oh, I love you. And, yeah. you know, just go for it to the point of dying. Crazy <laughs> well, people. It but, makes you know. me buy into that a lot yeah, more. Totally. That I can work within those parameters, yeah. especially because it's in this kind of... Uh, poppy MTV kind of style where everything's going to be heightened. It's yeah. like, if if I see a, a film trying to do a, trying to realistically say, oh, love at first sight exists and these people are instantly more in love than anyone in the universe because they just have seen each other and it's all just clicked. If I see that in in an apparently realistic film, I'm immediately cynical about it. Mm. But in this, it, I react to it in the same way as I do in in old films. It happens all the time. People fall in love at the drop of the hat. I think we talked about that when we did Vertigo, didn't we? Yeah. It takes no time at all. And so, and I think in the Shakespeare play as well. I mean, Shakespeare writing this was aware that it was ridiculous and easy to parody and. But he, he gives you it. He says, in within the parameters of this story, this world, this is going to happen. And you can buy into it more yeah. then. OK, right. Now, then, let's <laughs> let's get this over with and talk about the ending. So I want to talk about the ending because we, I was definitely going to talk about exit music for a film. Uh, but also the, uh, the I, I think I kind of got when I skipped forward, I kind of got what that policeman was saying. Something about being punished. <laughs> 
Uh, very, no, but I thought his performance was really, was really good yeah. as well. Yes, everyone's was. So what about the ending of this film? Because that's what spoilers all about. Talk to me about it. Did you enjoy it? Did you like the way it was done? No. Ooh, it's one of the things I don't like about it very much. Ooh. There's a couple of bits that I think Baz Luhrmann has ramped up to. He's, he's gone a step further with the, the melodrama. I didn't like the fact that Juliet points the gun at the, the priest and is all like hysterical and whereas in the play she comes to him and there's a really nice bit where uh, Paris says something about uh, tries to get her to say that she loves him and she says I'll admit that I love the father it's it's, it's a nice relationship whereas in this she just seems crazy and I think he he does the same thing with the end and he goes a bit too far I don't like that Juliet wakes up as he's doing it and they see each other it, it felt like too much that moment where they look at each other and go, oh, no, we've just missed our chance. Yeah. I didn't need that. I totally agree. <laughs> that really winds me up. Every, the first time I saw it, I was like, that doesn't happen in the play. And that is too much. It's too upsetting. The fact that they, they miss each other, that's that's upsetting enough. But the fact that they are aware of it. Yeah. No, <laughs> I don't need that. But did that? <laughs> I lost sympathy with it then. It felt like it was reaching too much yeah. to to try and make me go. Oh no! no it's just ridiculous. It did. It it just just move forward into ridiculousness. Yeah, it's like you just didn't need to do it like that. And obviously, then the speech had to be altered slightly. And then there was a big bit of silence and, oh, I don't know, it just didn't quite work for me. It did up until that point when he was leaning over her and he was kissing her and I was like, oh, that's so moving, that's so lovely. And apparently Claire Danes did cry like when they said cut. She went, oh, that really made me upset. <laughs> and um, it just just stick to the... I suppose just, it's in keeping with his idea, which yeah. was to do it in the way Shakespeare would have done it. And if Shakespeare was doing it in the 90s, he might have gone, right, it's a film we need to... We need to push it a bit more we need to really get him crying let's make it even more heartbreaking but no well let's not make excuses for him (laughs) (laughs) with the policeman speech you all like that yeah oh yeah oh yeah i like i really like the policeman actually yeah he's really good yeah because in in the captain prince he is the prince yeah but in this he's captain prince which looks quite clever so all that remains is for us to uh, go for our rating and our rating i've decided this time is it going to be true love or all are punished. <laughs> Which uh, I took a took a little time to translate, and turns out it means punished. <laughs> what? Well done. So what? it's not that indecipherable, is it? You could have just said punished, though, couldn't you? Well, that's not how they said it. All are punished. See, you understand me. <laughs> but you I understand it. what I'm saying. It didn't sound you as understand me. It's that extra syllable, does it? Uh, right, so, I, well, I think I know where this is going. Where are you going, Rachel? It's not true, love, Ooh. to be honest. So well, but I'm, I'm not punished mm. either. So, but it's not true, love. Could it be punishing love? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah. I'd say it's, it's just the first stirrings of attraction. Oh. It's headed in the right way, in the right <laughs> direction. Let's not even give you that option, though. I mean, I, but no, 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 that's fair enough. Okay, well... Thank you for listening. And um, if you watched Romeo and Juliet, um, I, I gen- you know, it's funny. I genuinely hope you enjoyed it. But uh, I know a little bit of me wants you to agree with me. And uh, thank you to Johnny for producing, Rachel and Andy in the studio. Uh, and always, always for you for listening uh, and downloading as you are doing. Uh, thank you very much. And we'll leave you with the genial, genie Ed, <laughs> Andy Goulding. With Romeo and Juliet, Will Shakespeare knew he'd written a love story with which the world would instantly be smitten. But sadly, gender politics conspired against the bard and made the act of casting leading ladies rather hard. 
For in Elizabethan times, when plays were all the rage, all women were forbidden to set foot upon a stage. Directors trying to stage a play would have enormous trouble discovering a Juliet whose chin was free from stubble. But while this law for women was undoubtedly oppressive, in other ways it made the play politically progressive. The moment these male Juliets pulled on their nylon tights, they struck an inadvertent blow for homosexual rights. And in an age still overcome by homophobic notions, made prejudice subservient to positive emotions. When Romeo appears beneath his lover's balcony, and Juliet emerges, and she clearly is a he, the audience was too consumed by feelings of romance to care that Juliet had a protrusion in her pants. I think it's rather lovely, as regards equality, this tale of two houses, both alike in dignity, back in these unenlightened times, was not condemned to failure, because it starred two lovers, both alike in genitalia. Wake from your sleep. You've been listening to Spoiler, hosted by me, Paul Tyler, with Andy Goulding and Rachel Burnett. Our theme music was composed by Ron Butcher, with additional music from the Romeo and Juliet original soundtrack. Today we escape. We escape. If you've enjoyed the show and would like to support us, you can do so via our website, spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Click on the donate button and give us whatever you think we're worth. You can also sign up for a free 30-day trial with Audible and get yourself a free audiobook by going to spoilerpodcast.co.uk and clicking on the Audible trial banner on the left-hand side. Or you can help us by simply telling your friends about us, sharing links to our show or writing a nice review on iTunes. As a song, a song to keep us one such a chill, such a chill. Next time on Spoiler, we're taking a look at the Oscar-winning black comedy drama, Birdman. He has a thing for nuns and diapers. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email hello at spoilerpodcast.co.uk, find us on Twitter or Facebook, or go to our website, spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Spoiler is produced by Johnny Hoare and is a Joe Schmo production. The show was recorded at the studios of Siren FM in the heart of the beautiful cathedral city of Lincoln. A plague on both your We all that
Let you chill. Let you chill.